When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for almost the last 12 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it's Tuesday, coming in a day later than normal due to the Martin Luther King holiday on Monday. Hope everyone enjoyed their three-day weekend, maybe even had some time to reflect on life and the position we currently find our country in so uh an important holiday and so we're here we are on tuesday trying to catch up on this fight night from last weekend the ufc gets back to business for 2024 magomed ankalaev and johnny walker from down there at the apex ankalaev emerges with a second round ko victory over walker jim miller gets a win in the co-main and then not a terrible card from there on out. So we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that this week. But we're going to turn most of our attention to UFC 297, which is Saturday night. Up, I know you're going to love this, Ben. It's up there at the Scotiabank Center in Toronto, Canada. One of the... Aren't there multiple Scotiabanks? Scotiabank arenas up there? Well, or is this multiple, the only one? There's multiple T-Mobiles. That's the one that really gets me mad. You know that's... Especially, man... Because the crack, the the Golden Knights, the hated, loathsome Las Vegas Golden Knights, they play at T-Mobile Arena, also known as the UFC's home, when they're in Vegas and not doing shows at the Apex. And then when we went to see them, see the the Winter Classic, see our beloved Seattle Kraken play the Winter Classic, they hosted the Golden Knights at T-Mobile Park yeah. in Seattle. And I was just like, God damn it, when is it going to be enough, T-Mobile? <laughs> when are you going to have enough buildings plus... T-Mobile can't be that popular. It can't have that many people that it can afford all these stadium sponsorships, man. If you work for T-Mobile, ask for a raise. Because if they got that kind of money to throw around on all these parks and stadiums and arenas and whatnot, brother, they're doing you wrong. You know they are. Did you notice at the Winter Classic that they had a gate that was specifically for T-Mobile customers? And in theory, that is supposed to be like a fast gate that gets you through quicker than the normal gates. But at the winter classic, the line for the T-Mobile gate was like around the block and basically the normal gate, you could just walk up and go in. I thought that was uh, an odd wrinkle. I mean, that is kind of hilarious to me that if, if that's the, the situation there does kind of undercut my, my claim that T-Mobile doesn't have that many customers <laughs> though. I think T-Mobile is a big deal in other markets. Just not here. Okay. 
that's entirely possible. But you know, hey, going up there to uh, the Scotiabank Arena, home of the the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, you know, at least at least we're getting out of the. We're traveling around again, taking some UFC pay-per-views to some other places. Although, I've heard from some Canadian friends over there on the Twitters this very morning, Chad. And you know we have many Canadian listeners. Sounds like they are none too pleased with the, the what the UFC is offering them. That they feel like, okay, post-GSP era, you still continue to think of us as a, a lower tier of events. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to the show, you probably know that the headliner here is the middleweight championship fight between Sean Strickland and DDP, and then uh, a women's bantamweight fight between Raquel Pennington and Maria Bueno Silva is for the vacant women's 135-pound title. And from there on out, man, I can't disagree with the Canadian faithful. I'm not sure this is a very strong pay-per-view card. It definitely doesn't seem to have anything really that would just force you out of your seat and, and off the couch and down there to pay 500 bucks for a mid-level UFC ticket on this one. Especially because it's like, you know, back in the days when it was GSP holding it down, they, they would blow the roof off the place yeah. they, when they had, had events in Toronto and Montreal and stuff. And here you're looking around and you're going like, okay, so this middleweight champ who lives in Las Vegas is going to fight this South African dude going down here in Toronto. I don't know. I don't know if I feel it. I guess I can't blame him for that. Remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free during normal weeks in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you're not satisfied, you can find Ben folks and myself all week long over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. Ben, you know what the hot topic is right now over on the message board? Sumo. It sumo it's wrestling? sumo. Yeah. We decided behind the paywall over on the Patreon, we're going to get super into sumo this year. The first basho of the year is underway. I believe we're two days in. And uh, so the hot topic of conversation in one of the channels, we got channels about all kinds of stuff over there, but one of the channels, just some fire sumo talk going on over there. I've watched the highlights of the first two days and I'll tell you what, I get it. I get it. Sumo is awesome. It is also incredibly complicated and mysterious. Once you start getting into the machinations of how the top sumo league actually works. I got in there this weekend. You know, I, I I have trouble sometimes with the Discord, just figuring out even just the way it works. Yeah, you're an old it man. Just, you're an old man. No shame in that. I, I feel I get alerts and stuff, and then it's like, okay, how do I find the thing where people are talking to me specifically? Like, people are, like, adding me on the Discord. I can't even find it. So I got in there, though, just to go over to the Sumo channel and see what was kicking around. Ended up watching some Sumo highlights. You know, I didn't realize that there are... I thought, you know, you watch some sumo, they're pushing each other out of the ring, they're doing stuff like that, and then every once in a while, somebody will hit like a sick standing sweep and just make you look dumb. Yeah. Just a giant-ass human plummeting down into the dirt, and I'm like, okay, that was actually kind of dope. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw from the first day, the Yokozuna went out there. That's the top rank in sumo I've been 
been led to believe uh he goes out there during his match he like gets uh he did like almost the john jones thing he got like an an overhook on the guy's yeah. elbow and cranked it into a nasty ass arm lock and used that to kind of spin the guy around and shove him out of the uh the sumo ring which at least just looking at it as a lay person watching that being done to because i remember when john jones was doing that to people and it seemed like man you're gonna mess somebody's shoulder up for life he, he was doing, remember he was doing it to Glover Teixeira. He was doing it to people in the clinch and just gave you another thing to worry about. And then a giant ass sumo dude does it to you. And I was like, well, you're not going to be okay after that. There's just no way. No. There's no way you put an ice pack on that and you feel okay in the morning. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about sumo as a total noob, as a guy who just started watching literally like day before yesterday, uh, the sponsor money, this is very MMA. The sponsor money, they just literally hand it to them in a stack of envelopes before they walk out of the sumo ring. It's just envelopes full of cash. They have huh. like a special little platter, like a serving platter that they hold up in front of the sumo guy and he takes his envelopes full of cash and he walks away. Is it like we hand you an envelope full of cash and we, do we give you a little wink and be like, this is from the sponsors? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the inner you know workings, but that's just how you get your sponsor money. Someone on the Discord also said that it, you can win a prize that's like your weight in in steak, essentially. <laughs> you can win like 400 pounds of steak. I don't even, I mean, that seems like, well, they, they must go through a lot of steak, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That seems like a lot. I know, I mean, right? Is that, do you have to take some of the sponsor money, turn right around, buy yourself one of those those big ass freezers that you just keep out in the garage. Yeah. Maybe, Is that your first order of business when so. you become a sumo wrestler? I don't know how many of them have garages, but that's a, uh, you know, maybe so. Uh, so get over to the, to the Patreon page, jump on the discord. You can talk about sumo if that's your jam, but we also got, we got channels about BJJ. We got channels about pro wrestling. We got channels about TV, video games, food and drink, help with stuff. If you need help, somebody's going to know. If you need help with something yeah. over on the Patreon page, someone is going to be an expert in whatever thing you need help with. So get over there, join up with that patreon.com slash co-main event. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. So you should check us out there. Another way you could support the show is by going over to our merch shop at our website, comainevent.com. We got all kinds of cool stuff there. We got the daddest man on the planet coffee mugs, which is currently the top seller in the wake of Christmas. We got t-shirts, hats, hoodies. We got the, the Volca, Volcamania t-shirt. We got Bobby Knuckles t-shirts. We got Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts. Just get over there, man. Buy some merch. We're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon, and we can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our guy, Kyle Kelly, Yonner, old school CME fan, drummer of tremendous skill, drummer of renown at this point. Frankly, he's out there playing with everybody on the road, Kyle Kelly Yonner. Uh, he put out a solo project a while back. It's an EP of instrumental tracks. It's mostly drums and synth synthesizer. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out the rest of the EP at his website, kyleky.com or at kylekydrums on Instagram where I follow him and it's good. He's a good follow. 
Yeah. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Sean Strickland and DDP will move their brawl inside the cage this weekend at UFC 297, which will at least be good news for the safety of Gilbert Burns' wife and children. And in round number two, did you know Raquel Pennington and Mario Bueno Silva are fighting for the vacant women's bantamweight championship on Saturday? I did not know that until about a week ago, which seems like a problem for the women's 135-pound division. And in round number three, was Magomed Ankalaev's win over Johnny Walker last weekend enough to get him back in the title hunt at light heavyweight? We discuss. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy, Brandon M. Boyd. So Brandon is going with the middle initial now. Okay. Brandon M. Boyd. I mean, which will make anybody, that'll make anybody sound classy, frankly. Didn't we a long time ago, since so many people like to mess with us by writing in the name of a Welsh football player from the 60s or some shit, that they know we don't know about. And we started putting in Google everybody's name. And if we think that Brandon Boyd was somebody else and he had to go out of his way. To oh, be yeah. Like, no, I'm a real person. Yeah, this he, is my real name. Maybe the M. Lead singer of Incubus, right? Okay. Is that who <laughs> Maybe, it was? The, the M is supposed to differentiate you. I mean, just be careful because if you add the full middle name in there, Brandon, I'm going to tell you right now, that's when you immediately sound like a assassin, like a presidential assassin or something. Be careful. Anyway, Brandon M. Boyd seeks an answer to his question from Benjamin J. Folks and Chad V. <laughs> Dundas. And here it is. Jim Miller got another win for the old guys Saturday. And after the fight, there was a debate on whether he was a Hall of Fame worthy guy because he never won a title. And the highest he was ever ranked was number four. Now, I know the UFC Hall of Fame is basically a porta potty behind the peppermint rhino. So it's a bullshit discussion anyway, but this guy has the most fights and most wins in UFC history. He's also fought 29 times with fucking Lyme disease and won more of those than he lost. They put Cowboy in seemingly because he's Cowboy. So what do we do with these guys who have had pretty memorable careers, but never got a title? I mean, I don't even want to hear it, honestly, if you're going to try to tell me that Jim Miller does not deserve a place in the Hall of Fame. To be like, okay, never won a title. And especially if you're going to tell me the highest he was ever ranked was four. Fuck off. Highest he was ever ranked was four in the lightweight division, one of the historically most talent-rich divisions, not just in the UFC, but in all of MMA. And also this point about Cowboy is well made because if he had had a hat, if Jim Miller had had a signature hat, would you be over here being like, okay, he obviously deserves a place in the Hall of Fame. Not only has he had so many fights, he's had so many good fights, and he's just been so damn consistent over so long. Like the stuff about Lyme disease is a good point. It's like when Jim Miller had undiagnosed Lyme disease and could barely even get up in the gym to train without being completely flattened by the effort, he was like, oh, I only fought two to three times a year during that portion. Come on, just be serious. Jim Miller obviously deserves a place in the Hall of Fame, especially the kind of Hall of Fame that we're having. Right. This Hall of Fame, the UFC Hall of Fame, clearly has room for dudes who are awesome dudes, who meant a lot to the sport, who made an impact on the sport in one way or another, even if they were not the absolute elite in their weight class. Yeah, especially at the UFC Hall of Fame where you're basically just making up the rules as you go along. Yeah. You might as well if it's just going to be basically – 
an employee of the month situation where they put a plaque up in the hallway between the bathroom and the warehouse where the guys fight on the ultimate fighter. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we need to sit around uh, worrying ourselves, going bald with worry when it comes to who they're going to put in the UFC Hall of Fame. And frankly, even if there was an independent MMA Hall of Fame, which there should be, frankly, there should be one of those. If there was, I got no problem with putting people in because of their longevity and, you know, basically what kind of profile they established in mixed martial arts. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a career achievement award. You you give it to Jim Miller, most fights, most wins in UFC history. Plus, Again, I hate to keep coming back to this because I know maybe it doesn't mean that much to people who are just so focused on titles and wins and losses. Jim Miller has been in this sport for fucking ever, and nobody really has anything bad to say about him. Yeah. How often does that happen? How often do you see a fighter who just has this long a track record in the sport without leaving behind a trail of bitter training partners or managers talking about how he fucked him over or promoters who are angry at no everybody likes jim miller yeah that's that's damn near impossible what kind of hat would you like to see jim miller wear okay uh as soon as i started thinking about the hat thing i i figured it's kind of an easy one honestly uh like one of those like like an elmer fudd uh, duck hunting hat okay, <laughs> with the ear flaps, yeah. you know, like the plaid thing. It's fuzzy on the inside. He could, the way you'd know he's getting down to business is if he flips down the ear flaps. So like a plaid. Maybe flips up the ear flap. I don't know. Yeah. One of those things he would, he would do something with the ear flaps and it would be like when you switch your Crocs from chill mode to sport mode where you're just like, okay, Jim Miller's coming for that ass now. <laughs> like the, you, the you equivalent would, of you, Dustin Poirier pulling his shorts up. Yes, pulling his shorts up, uh, brushing back the hair that sometimes is no longer even there. The it, it's like he he does whatever he does. He flips the ear flaps and then Bad Moon Rising plays, and that's when you know Jim fucking Miller is coming. Yeah, watch out. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that's a great choice. I was gonna say Fez, but uh. But I like what you said there. I just looked it up, by the way. Brandon Boyd is the lead singer of Incubus, but he's not the guy who who emails. What's us. his middle initial? Hold on, let me see if I can find out. Brandon Charles Boyd. So that's how okay. we're going to tell him apart. Is that we got Brandon M. Boyd here at the CME? They got Brandon C. Boyd over there in Incubus. I mean, doesn't Brandon Charles Boyd just sound like somebody who got arrested for trying to come to a Gerald Ford rally with a 32 in his pocket. Doesn't he just sound like that? <laughs> I guess he does. You got presidential assassins on the brain these days. Uh, next question. I'm going to go with this one. started on uh, what happened to uh, other civil rights leaders I could name. I'm telling you. It goes deep. This one goes deep. I'm going to go with this one because it's also Jim Miller related. It's from Mike Perry's Face Tat MD over on Patreon. Okay, so uh, just so I understand, the face tattoo itself is a medical doctor. Hard to know if it's the face tat who is the medical doctor or if it's a medical doctor who oversees Mike Perry's Uh, face tattoo. Although the the way it's written leads you to believe that they mean that the face tattoo is a doctor. Yeah, you, you. I can see why, especially if you're going to give Mike Perry a face tat, you do want a medical doctor to oversee that procedure. At least somebody on call, someone standing by. <laughs> yes, somebody with admitting privileges at a local hospital. Anyway, from Mike 
Perry's face tat MD over on the Patreon page. They write Jim Miller versus Matt Brown, but throwback style face the pain intro sponsorship banners, no drug testing, affliction gear only and Mike Goldberg on the call. But seriously, will we ever see fighters have this many UFC fights again? Now this, this idea has been floated out there that what we do at UFC 300 is Jim Miller against Matt Brown, which I mean, if that's what it turned out to be, I would not argue with it. Mm -hmm. Now, Jim Miller himself called out Paul Felder in the wake of Brock Lesnar in the wake of his win. One of those seemingly more possible than the other still waiting for comment from Brock Edward Lesnar. Yeah, suspiciously quiet. Brock Lesnar (laughs) scared. He's scared. That's what it is. That's 24 hours to respond. Uh, Before we get into talking about the awesome nature of a Jim Miller matt brown fight let me just say i love jim miller i love jim fucking miller but let's leave paul felder alone man he's out here enjoying his retirement commentating on ufc events just hanging out in philly eating ice cream with his daughter this let's let him be happy let's let him go about a normal life we don't have to keep pulling him back into this shit we don't have to keep holding the door for him ushering him back in the mma life let's granted he's more than happy to do it it sounds like but let's just leave paul felder alone yeah i was really curious when i saw him talking to the media after this event and people were asking him about you know how realistic is that potential fight between him and jim miller at usc 300 and he was talking about being sort of undecided on the comeback I recall you phrasing it at the time when he said that he was getting back in the USADA testing pool but hadn't decided if he was going to actually fight, that Paul Felder goes to bar, orders shot of whiskey, hasn't decided if he's going to drink it yet, just going to leave it there on the bar look at it for a minute. Yeah. And it seems like he is actually thinking. Like, it seems like he is not just telling himself he is thinking before inevitably doing it. Like, I got the impression from his comments that he was actually being like considering the all the the possibilities and what it would mean and he said something at one point where he was like people have told me if you don't do it you'll regret it if you don't come back you'll regret it and i don't know if that's true and i was like who who said this to paul felder because i just want to talk to him i we need to track that person down and be like what are you what are you trying to do putting that in paul felder's head like if you don't do it. i mean if you do do it, you come back uh, too late in life, too late in your career, too late in your athletic evolution. Uh, you might have something done to your body that can never be undone. You might just go out there, get beat up for 40 and 40 or whatever it is. Uh, end up with a, a new plate in your face or new screws in your arm. For some, and and it would all be for nothing. Like Paul Felder had a good career and he's got a good post-fighting career, which is an even harder thing to hold on to and to get. And so... don't be out here telling Paul Felder that he'll regret it for the rest of his life if he doesn't come back in and get his face opened by somebody's elbow. He he could probably be just fine. I feel like Paul Felder is a reasonable enough guy who can find meaning in his life without this. You do not need to be trying to tell him that it's now or never to go back there and and get in the cage. Do you think it was Jim Miller who told him that? I mean, honestly, I do like this idea of Jim Miller versus Matt Brown yeah. as sort of a, uh, and especially, yeah, let's put on some, the, the kind of affliction shirts where there are like pieces of metal embedded in the cotton of the t-shirt. 
let's let's everybody come out to some new metal shit, you know, um, a, a beanie that says KTFO on it, like just all that stuff, man. Like let's let's really lean into it. I love everything about that idea. A little bit of a of a size disparity though, wouldn't there be? Yeah. Well, that's part of the thing that makes it fun, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, congrats to Jim Miller on his face crank victory over Gabriel Benitez. You won some money on that. Yeah, don't think that I'm not already thinking about how I'm going to crow over that one when we get around to $20 we never want to see again. Uh, That one was such a big win, it helped me end up with a loss of only like 40 cents (laughs) on the week. Off to Uh, a great start. Yeah. Yeah, things are going great over there already. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Alex Penny, who writes, did you dudes check out the scrap between Ricky Simone and Mario Batista this past weekend? That was a hell of a good fight and made me think Batista could be someone to keep an eye on in 2024. What are your thoughts? My first thought is, I feel like these guys got screwed that the UFC didn't give out a fight of the night bonus for this uh, fight night event. They gave out four performance of the night bonuses Magomed Ankalaev, Jim Miller, Bruno Ferreira and Marcus McGee, but no fight of the night bonus cuz I thought Ricky Simone and and uh and uh Batista Mario Batista put on a hell of a fight and I feel yeah. like maybe if they were light heavyweights or maybe if they were, you know, welterweights or something like that, maybe if they were two slightly better known guys they would have got one because this was a good scrap. Yeah, it always feels especially insulting to everybody on the card when there is no fight of the night bonus given out. Like, I get it if you're like, okay, there are four awesome finishes and we want to reward those. I mean, again, the UFC has the money to give out those four finish bonuses, basically, while also giving out fight of the night. It's whatever Dana White says about how it's going to mess up the budget. No, it won't. They have the money. They could do it. And it's sort of like, remember it was one of those years where they they did not give out the Pulitzer Prize and uh, or one of those prizes in fiction where they yeah. were just like, well, you know and what? Then they shortlisted the- a few and they were, then they were like, no, we're just not giving it out this year. And it's like, what a fuck you <laughs> to everyone who wrote a book that year. Because yeah. there's like, we've reviewed everything and there's nothing good. Yeah, there's it sucks. nothing good enough. It sucks to get nominated and then have them be like, nah, none of these actually. Yeah. One of these recent Not only years- did you did not, not win, none of you win. It's just garbage. We're throwing it all out. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but one of these recent years, they had three nominees for the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction or the Nobel Prize. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, I can't remember either. They had three nominees, but then they declared it a tie between two of them. (laughs) So like, ouch for that other person, right? Yeah, the only thing we could decide on was that that third person (laughs) did not win. (laughs) That's how it feels like when they come out of one of these cards and they're like, you know what? There was no fight of the night. And like if your two guys just went out there, had yourselves a three round slobber knocker. You're you're looking up from your gurney in the hospital room being like, what? You said what? What the hell, man? Like, what else do you want from us? It's uh, it's the even bigger fuck you, though, was that one card where it was kind of a garbage ass card. Well, I don't know. The, the card itself was just sort of like mediocre. But in the main event, it was like Frank Mir and somebody, right? And they had a really lackluster fight. Not a whole lot happened. And then Frank Mir, I think, scored a knockout like at the in the final minute. 
And it was the only knockout on the card. And this is back when they were still giving out knockout of the night, submission of the night, and fight of the night before somebody told them, hey, if you get yourself into a brain trauma lawsuit down the road like the (laughs) NFL has done, it might not look great to have knockout of the night awards. And it was the only knockout of the night, which usually means automatic. And they were just like, they refused. They were like, no, we will not give out a knockout of the night bonus just because we didn't like the fight. Specifically specifically to Alex Penny's question here, I do think that Mario Batista is somebody to watch in 2024. He has won six fights in a row, and he is 8-1 mm-hmm. and one in his last nine, and most of them are stoppages. He just appeared in the bantamweight rankings at number 14 this week after his win. Uh, Ricky Simone, by the way, number 15 in the bantamweight rankings. Now, the problem with this with him being a guy to keep an eye on as noted on the broadcast was that there are so many good men's bantamweights right now in the ufc i will just read you some names sean o'malley all jermaine sterling marab dvalishvili henry cejudo Corey sandhagen peter yawn marlon vera song yadong davison figueredo rob font dominic cruz pedro munoz that's your top that's your top 11 and then below that, you got dudes like Jonathan Martinez, Umar Nurmagomedov, Ricky Simone, and Mario Batista. That's a healthy list. And so yeah. if you're going to work your way up to the top of that ladder, it's going to take some work. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Dan Alexander, who writes, it was truly heartbreaking to read the news about Ryan Curtis's life-changing training injury. I'm guessing that most podcasts and media outlets will avoid spreading the news of a fighter battling for his life, having lost the use of both legs and an arm. It's an absolutely cruel reminder of what can happen when things go horribly wrong in MMA. I did see this. I saw people uh, raising money for what seems like a good cause. And I don't know. I did see this fairly highly publicized. So I'm not yeah, sure that anybody... I saw it on MMA fighting the story over there by Alexander K. Lee. So, I mean, it was it's not like people were buried it. What do you think the K stands for? <laughs> Kenneth killer stone cold killer. killer. I bet it is killer. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a horribly sad story, a, a tragedy and uh, one that I have seen reported in the MMA media. So I don't know that anyone's trying to shy away from it. But again, stuff like this can happen in contact sports combat sports uh i was gonna say most any contact sport frankly you can get yourself into a situation like this obviously rarer in other sports than others but yeah just terrible awful heart goes out to the guy heart goes out to his family hope they can raise enough money to help him out with the with the expenses that this is going to bring on and uh you hope for some kind of recovery whatever that may mean yeah and here's again though this kind of thing, while, you know, this is rare, uh, but it still is absolutely a thing that can happen. And this happened in training. Yeah. Like this gives you a sense and uh, hopefully a good reminder that this is a very dangerous sport. This is a, a, this is the hurt business. And so even in training, you are putting yourself at serious risk at times. And when we say, you know, the fighter should be paid more or just in general taken care of better by promoters, it's because of stuff like this, because there's just so many ways for bad stuff to happen to you in the sport. You're taking a tremendous risk. And without people willing to take that tremendous risk, there is no sport. There is no, you know, riding around in Ferraris for the promoters and, and you know, DM and the ring girls and stuff like that. None of that exists without people willing to go out there and do the actual fighting. And so 
at least give them some money to try to compensate them for all the risks that they're taking. Cause shit like this shows you, it can get serious. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern for future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Sean Strickland and uh, Drikus Duplessis have done everything they could to publicize their feud, including brawling in the stands at a recent UFC event. They have done everything humanly possible within and outside the bounds of good taste to get us to care about the UFC 297 main event, where Sean Strickland will defend his middleweight title against DDP. And yet... This still feels like a bit of a lackluster pay-per-view main event to my mind. It seems like this would be better served as the co-main on a different card that might have a feature fight that could be more attractive to pay-per-view buyers. And I wanted to ask you, how much of that do you think? Well, first of all, I guess I would ask you if you agree. And if you do, I would ask you, how much of that do you think stems from the fact that Sean Strickland is such a surprise and some would say underdog champion at this point. You know, to be honest, I'm kind of excited for this fight, both because it feels like finally something new is happening with the UFC middleweight title. You know, here's finally a fight that doesn't have Israel Adesanya in it for the first time in a while. Uh, that you get Sean Strickland, you get Dragus Duplessis, you get some some fresh blood in there. But also that just like stylistically, this one seems interesting to me. We, we have watched Sean Strickland for years now talk like an absolutely raving axe murderer before a fight and then be actually very tactically smart and careful about his approach once he actually gets in the cage. And, you know, it was easy to criticize that juxtaposition where beforehand he'd talk like he wants to bathe in your blood and then he's going to get in there and pick away at you from a distance and slowly win rounds. But it is a smart way to go about it. We saw Israel Adesanya struggle to deal with it. He goes out there, he wins the title when nobody thought he could. And now I think we're still in that mode where we're looking at him and going, but are you really the UFC middleweight champ? Are you really? We need to see approve it at least once, maybe a few times before we really settle into the idea. And he fights DDP, who's one of these guys who is almost allergic to go into decision, just wants to go out there, let it all hang out immediately. Even sometimes when he seems to gas himself out that way, will walk right up to the line of losing some of these fights before he wins them, but has sort of a nose for the finish. Yeah. Like, just stylistically, I'm interested to see how this one will go. He kind of didn't need all the extremely personal and bitter accusations and recriminations on both sides here. You didn't need them brawling in the in the crowd for me. But once you throw that in there, that's going to get people interested. So, like, all of that to me does add up to an interesting main event. If I were going to criticize the card, I'd be like, there's not a whole lot else to, to get you there, especially... 
as far as pure star power or name value wattage, I don't know if either one of these guys gives you much outside of the people in the hardcore MMA bubble. Right. I think that's going to be your, your issue. But like, as far as an actual fight, I do want to see it. Yeah. Drigas Duplessis is one of these guys who, for whatever reason, hasn't established a lot of name recognition, as you said, out, outside of the exclusive MMA bubble. But he's kind of done everything you could ask for in terms of a guy who is going to earn a middleweight title shot. He is undefeated in the UFC, 6-0. and As you mentioned, most of those, all but one of them, by stoppage. His most recent four fights in order were Brad Tavares, Darren Till, Derek Brunson, and Bobby Knuckles. And he won all of those fights. So that's, I think, about as concrete a case as you can make for number one contendership in the UFC right now. He's 20 and two overall. His only, his last loss was 2018. He lost to uh, Roberto Soldich down there in KSW. Uh, and, you know, Soldich was a was a capital G guy in KSW at the time. Trikas Duplessis has been the the champion in both of the divi- or both of the organizations he's ever fought in EFC and KSW and being a KSW champion ain't nothing to sneeze at. So for him to come over to the UFC, win that many fights, win fights over that many named guys, guys we've heard of before, and to do it in knockout fashion is is pretty impressive. And uh, he's I don't know, he seems like the kind of guy who could who could have a, a decent profile for the UFC. And maybe what he needs is a victory over Sean Strickland to become the champion in order to get that. I guess I would ask you the reverse of that question. Since Drikas Duplessis is maybe not as well known as some of the other middleweights, do you think a victory over him is enough to change our minds, to make us stop thinking of Sean Strickland as a surprise or perhaps fluke 185-pound champion? It might take one more, you know, but I do think if you go out here and you beat DDP, who is fresh off of that stoppage win over Bobby Knuckles, which how often does that happen? You know, like that, that's, this guy really earned middleweight contender status. This wasn't just, we're looking around, we have a date on the calendar, we'll just take whoever seems like they'll say yes. DDP earned that spot yeah. and it was supposed to be him against Israel Adesanya. Uh, and he honestly, I think had pretty good sense to say, no, I need some time off to heal. I was already sort of hurt going into the Robert Whitaker fight. Uh, not going to rush it. And remember at the time, the conventional wisdom, a lot of people were saying, oh, he screwed up. He's not going to get the shot now. That was his, his window of opportunity. He said no, and the division is going to move on without him. Instead, Sean Strickland wins the title. And if you're DDP, you probably feel like if you had to choose one of those two guys to face, Israel Asanya or Sean Strickland, you'd probably rather sh- go against Strickland for the belt. Yeah. So he and and then gets a, the very next title shot on a timeline that's more favorable to him. Like it all kind of worked out for him, honestly. Yeah, at the same time, though, it's a, it's an interesting matchup of styles, right? Because DDP, he's going to go hard. He's coming at you. He's going to go ham. He's going to try to knock you out. And sometimes that makes him tired, as Habib Nurmagomedov might say. And at the same time, Sean Strickland is one of these guys. It's like death by a thousand cuts, right? He's just going to throw throw his, his volume striking game at you. Maybe not the hardest punches in the world, but he's going to wear you out. That's kind of his whole deal. He's going to come at you with a pace. That might be hard for you to keep up, especially over five rounds. So in that case, 
it's a little bit of a of an interesting stylistic matchup to me. It it is. Uh, also, though, if you're Dragus Duplessis and you just came off of that fight against Robert Whitaker, and you would look at okay, whatever I was thinking and telling myself going into that fight against Bobby Knuckles versus now going into this fight with much bigger stakes against Sean Strickland, wouldn't you be like, there's not a single thing Sean Strickland does better than Robert Whitaker? Yes. You know, I, I, if I went in there and I got a win over Robert Whitaker, I can get it, go in there and get a win over Sean Strickland. Like on paper, this one ought to be an easier fight than the last. And yet we've seen what happens when someone underestimates Sean Strickland yep. headed into a big fight. Are you surprised that DDP is the underdog here? He's plus 110 right now on uh draft kings sean strickland minus 130 maybe it's just the gold maybe it's just that sean strickland has the gold but i would think if these two guys met up as contenders on a uh on a more anonymous fight card that that duplessis would be the favorite yeah i was a little bit i mean sometimes as we've seen when betting volume is just low overall the thing that can move a close line from plus to minus is just activity. And I could see why there might not be a ton of activity on DDP just because not a whole lot of people know him. Yeah. You know, more people probably know Sean Strickland at this point because Jesus Christ, he spent the last three years just saying anything that would make us remember his name. Like how many times did he just jump in there in a post fight press conference or on social media or something? And it seemed like his only goal was just for us to see the quote and be like, who the hell said that? <laughs> and it worked. People know who he is now. And then I think, you know, you come off that win where people, no one expected you to go in there and do it. You didn't just catch a lucky punch on Israel Adesanya. You outworked him, outpointed him for five rounds. You took the belt. I think that raised the stock in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, and this one will be an interesting matchup of styles. I do agree that it's kind of an interesting fight at the top of the UFC 297 card. I just don't know how many people are going to end up watching. All right, let's go ahead. We'll do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, to begin my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? This week, I would like to share this listener mail that we got from Hair Danny Boy Third, who writes, subject line, Mark Hunt open to Jake Paul boxing match, comma, in talks with BKFC. Danny Boy writes, who the fuck is crazy enough to accept that fight? Meaning a bare knuckle fight against Mark Hunt. My advice to them, if you want to commit suicide, pills are a lot less painful. (laughs) And so this week, my are you fucking kidding me is terrible if true. Who on earth would uh, elect to fight Mark Hunt in a bare knuckle boxing match? And frankly, if you are a promoter willing to put on a fight with Mark Hunt in a bare knuckle boxing ring, you should be committed to the Arkham Asylum for the criminally insane. Yeah. This is yeah. fucking terrible. You might as well poison the water supply of Gotham City because that's what kind of monster you are. If you're going to put some poor sap in the in the ring with Mark Hunt with no gloves on. Are you fucking kidding me? I think if you are a promoter and you submit to like an athletic commission a proposal to have Mark Hunt fight basically anybody in bare knuckle boxing. It should be like one of those like Dateline episodes where they're like, okay, while we look over this paper, why don't you come in here and sit down? And then when you're sitting there, then the cops come in and they're like, okay, we need to talk to you. Put your hands behind your back. You should be brought up on charges for even suggesting the idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is going to go down in like Lex Luthor fight fighting championship. In a hollowed out volcano. <laughs> you fucking kidding me. We can't do this. We can't do it. Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week is UFC 297 and Sean Strickland related. I'm just going to read to you a headline from over there on MMA Junkie, the Farrah Hound story. Headline reads, Sean Strickland warns Dreykus Duplessis about bringing up traumatic childhood again. Quote, I will fucking stab you. Now, <laughs> it goes on. Uh, you know, he's. I think this is from his podcast interview with Theo Vaughn, where he's talking about Dreykus Duplessis. Uh, and, uh, or, or maybe it was just that he was talking about the childhood trauma on Theo Vaughn. I don't know when exactly he said this, these comments, but oh, this is from his YouTube channel after the podcast interview where he says, quote, I actually sent him a message, meaning Dreykus Duplessis. Dude, listen, Dreykus, we're going to try to murder each other, but if you bring that shit up again, I will fucking stab you. Press conference, weigh in. Now here's an interesting ellipses, dot, dot, dot. He was cool about it. I'm not telling you I don't want to fight you, Dreykus. I'm not saying you're not a good fighter. I'm just saying that's a line that, when crossed, it transcends fighting. If I go to Canada and you bring that up, guess what? I'm going to go to jail. They're going to deport me, and we spent eight weeks of training for no fucking reason. Now, my are you fucking kidding me here, Chad? It's kind of like, I you guys are going to get paid to get in there and get in a fight. The the I will stab you part, for one thing, you're kind of putting Dreykus in a situation now where he almost has to mention it because he can't be like, I'm scared Sean Strickland is going to stab me. You know how MMA fighters are. They go up there at the weigh-ins and one guy jokingly punches the other in the stomach and the next thing you know, they're hauling off trading body shots just because neither guy can back down. But then if we see Sean Strickland with a knife in his hand, I think people are going to be able to connect the dots and be like, don't let him get close. He said he was going to stab him. Here comes that moment where Sean Strickland about to stab him. I just, you, you put a lot of premeditation out into the world here for a couple guys who are going to get a chance within the bounds of their job to go out there and try to hurt each other. You're fucking kidding me. You're fucking kidding me. All right. Also, oh, if Sean oh. Strickland shows up in, in Toronto and they look through his luggage and he has a knife in there, we're going to be like, Sean, well, why did you bring a knife to Canada? And he'll be like, Just in case I need to open some DVDs later. And they'll be like, we follow your YouTube page, Sean. We're not letting you. We're, we're going to hold on to this one, okay? We're going to put it with Israel Adesanya's brass knuckles there in the back of the airport. Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Ben, the co-main event at UFC 297 this weekend is Raquel Pennington against Maya, Myra Bueno Silva for the vacant women's bantamweight championship. Raquel Pennington, a bit of a bigger known name in this sport than Bueno Silva. Obviously, she is on a four-fight heater at the moment, coming off 
back-to-back wins over Aspen Ladd and Ketlin Vieira to get her into this position. Maria Bueno Silva, a little bit more pink. A little bit more pink on the Wikipedia page. She had been on a three-fight win streak before she got a no contest against Holly Holm in July of 2023, which was originally a win for Bueno Silva, overturned after she tested positive for some manner of performance-enhancing drug. It is retalinic acid. I could not sit here and tell you what that is. But nonetheless, here she is fighting for this women's bantamweight championship, uh, which has been vacant since... uh, Amanda Nunes retired in June of 2023, and the title was officially vacated later that month. So we're finally going to get a champ at US at uh, the men, the women's excuse me bantamweight 135 pound division. And yet, I, this one feels like an afterthought to me. What do you think? Well, first of all, I need a ruling here, Chad. Do you think that retalinic acid counts as that good? Good. Don't know. Couldn't tell you. It's, I mean, it's either the greatest performance enhancing drug on the market, or it's like some shit that would be in the, uh, the ingredients list on my kids' fruit snacks. I don't know. Well, it seems like that it's, uh, Wikipedia tells me that it is a major metabolite of a psychostimulant drug. And she claimed that it came from ADHD medication, which sounds like for you or I, that might be doping. For what we do, yeah, yeah, I'm not so sure it would count really as doping for what she does. Well, clearly you know? the UFC seems able to overlook it since she rolls straight from that test into a title fight. So they must not think that it is that big of a deal. Or another possibility is that they're just thinking like, this division needs to move on. This, it, this division has been slumbering. Ever since, you know, Amanda Nunes just said like, okay, done with this for a while. You guys all play in my absence. Go ahead. Have fun. Uh, Maybe I'll be at the Buffalo Wild Wings and check some of it out. Who knows? And the fact that, like you said, it wasn't even really a known thing. Like, oh shit, here we go. We got ourselves a a new title fight. We're going to finally crown a new champion. It doesn't have that feel. Yeah. It just feels like we're kind of being like, all right, we got to do something. We got the, we got one of these belts laying around. We got this division. We got to do something with it. So this is as good a thing as any. And it, it feels like we're going to be in a sort of wait and see mode to, to even find out where we land with this. Yeah. And obviously these things go in cycles. So I don't know if that I yeah. want to make too big a deal out of it, but the women's bantamweight division used to be one of the marquee divisions in the UFC when you had Ronda Rousey and you had Misha Tate and you had Holly Holm and a little bit in the wake of that, you had Amanda Nunes. Uh, And now it just seems like a complete afterthought. It just seems like nothing is going on there at all. And I feel like that's kind of sad. I mean, it could potentially make a comeback. You know, we see these things, these things happen. Divisions go up and down in, in relevance and competition and everything else. But it feels like they, you had a, a once very vibrant division that now you're just kind of, you're just drawing names out of a hat sometimes. Well, it kind of makes sense that you have a champion that dominant for that long. She sort of just lays waste to the land 
and salts the earth in her absence, and then it's going to take a while for something new to grow there. Because I don't think that it's a situation where one women's 135 was good and then now it sucks. Yeah, I think that it's just for so long it was just Amanda Nunes and everybody else. And now she's gone and sort of just like left you without anybody really on the horizon that you could think about. And so it's going to take some time for everybody to sort out the new pecking order. If you are a women's 135-pound fighter, though, now ought to be kind of an exciting time. Because now it seems sort of wide open. Anybody there who's in the top 15, kind of, it seems like, a couple wins, and you could make your case. Yeah, yeah. You were right that Amanda Nunes has not been heard from. Yeah. Since she decided to walk away, we talk about these MMA retirements. We talked about Paul Felder seemingly just, like, standing in the doorway waiting for someone to invite him in. You know, we've seen all kinds of these retirements stick and not stick. It's hard for me to remember a high-profile one like Amanda Nunes calling it quits and then just being gone. Just haven't heard a word from her since. Just we have to imagine out enjoying her family life that she said she was going to do. And, I, you know, I guess I don't follow her social medias, but I feel like I just haven't haven't seen or heard from her since she decided to walk away and God bless her for it. Yeah. That is the ideal MMA retirement to be a champion, make some good money, hold down the division until you decide you're ready to be done with it. And then it seems like you don't even watch this shit anymore. Yeah. Like you, she probably into sumo. Now you probably <laughs> just like, okay, Hey, new 15 day open weight tournament just started. Let me get my popcorn. Yeah. And maybe she'll join us over on the uh, over on the Patreon. Odds makers have this one a pretty close fight. Moria Bueno Silva minus one sixty two. Raquel Pennington plus one thirty six. Everyone Raquel Pennington has lost to in recent memory in the UFC is a capital G guy, capital G girl. Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Duranda, me, Holly Holm. Those are the most recent losses. Prior to that, Jessica Andrade, Leslie Smith, Kat Zingano. That's in uh, most of her professional career. She's got one other one earlier in her career, but like that's pretty good. Like those are those are quality losses. She beat everybody else she fought, and yet if Raquel Pennington comes out of this thing being the women's bantamweight champion, I'll be a little bit like, oh yeah, I don't know how dominant she's going to be. I guess would be my guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that you're going to need some time to sort through what we got there, but uh, you know. I do think that just for like the same reasons that women's 30, 135 became sort of like the light heavyweight division equivalent in the the women's weight classes, that absolutely could happen again. We've we've seen similar things happen at light heavyweight, haven't we? Where a dominant champ that era comes to a close for one reason or another, and it takes we maybe I take a little while where everybody gets to have a cup of coffee with the belt before we figure out what we're doing it with again. I could absolutely see that happening here. Yeah. All right, that is going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker had to settle the score. 
These guys met once before at UFC 294 in October of last year. It was declared a no contest due to an illegal knee by Magomed Ankalaev that rendered Johnny Walker unable to continue, at least according to the, the medical doctor, at least according to the ringside doctor. Johnny Walker thought he could continue. The guys on commentary thought he could probably continue. Magomed Ankalaev certainly thought he could continue. But we had a no contest stoppage nonetheless, so we ran it back on Saturday night at uh, this UFC Fight Night event at the Apex down there in Las Vegas. Magomed Ankalaev gets the last laugh, at least for now. Second round KO KO over Johnny Walker. I guess, uh, does he revitalize his his stock as a contender with this one victory? Because I kind of thought he did. He got this win, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm willing to put him back on the list of guys that, that could potentially fight for the title pretty soon. Yeah, especially sort of when you look around at where the division is at. If you go out there and you get a pretty good finish, you look good doing it, then uh, we got to turn right around and talk about you right in that mix. Uh, I think it was smart of him to try to get something on the books Yeah, right away. Yeah. Turn right around after this one and be like, UFC 300 is when? Yeah, I could, I could do that. I, I can make that if you guys need. Uh, especially because it feels like if you're Magomed Ankalaev, we talked about this last week where it felt like they were trying to put him in a position for success yeah. when the, the title was vacant. We are trying to, it seemed like putting him in a fight where he was going to win, he was going to be the next champ, and then there we go. And then just hit a kind of a weird stretch where he had that draw against Yanni Blackjacks, he had the no contest against Johnny Walker, and you could probably feel it slipping away a little bit if you're Magomed Ankalaev at that point. So to come out here and not only get a win, but get a knockout like that, which... Man, I, I Johnny Walker, I know, is one of those guys where when he gets knocked out, he's it's it's never gonna look normal for some you know, it's never gonna be just like boom, hits, goes down. It's always gonna look like uh with the same thing we used to say about Stref Stefan Struve, God bless his heart, where it was just like a tall, skinny guy gets hit like that, goes down, and it looks like a, a sniper took out a giraffe or something. <laughs> it's 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 always just gonna be a little bit weird. But man, he dropped him up against the phase and then followed up with that shot where I was just like, oh, yeah. God, why does that one look like it hurts yeah. so much more? Right in the middle of the face yeah. is where he hit him. It was like Johnny Walker got knocked down and seemed to only briefly forget where he was. It seemed like if that was the only strike that was landed, maybe Johnny Walker would have remembered. And as long as that ringside doctor from Abu Dhabi wasn't there, he probably could have continued. But that's all Uncle Laev needed was just that split second where Johnny Walker was somewhat defenseless and he punched him right on the bridge of the nose. Yeah. And you could tell, you don't often see a professional fighter cover his own face like the mm-hmm. way that Johnny Walker did at the end of this thing. So that, that smarted. He was hurt <laughs> after that punch. And that was all she wrote. And uh, no complaints from Johnny Walker after the stoppage there. Yeah, so I mean, I do think you're, you're right back there on the map uh, at 205 pounds because right now, you know, it's everybody kind of in the the conversation for a title shot. They all sort of have some sort of I don't want to say asterisks, but something where you're like, uh, you could you could talk yourself out of it if you wanted to, right? You know, and now though, it's like. 
Magomed Ankalaev is sitting right there in top three. You got Jamal Hill, Yuri P, Magomed Ankalaev, uh, and then a little bit of a, of a fall off after that top three. But as we've seen in when it comes to the UFC's title fight matchmaking decisions, being in that zone and being A, physically ready to fight, and B, keeping your phone charged and, and, and nearby, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Because when you have some interchangeable options like that, the UFC is known to call around and just be like, here's the date we're thinking, do you want it? And the first person to say yes gets it. You yeah. can easily see that happening here. And, you know, I guess he never fell that far, at least in terms of the actual rankings, despite the fact he had that draw and then he had the no contest. He is at the moment ranked number three in the UFC uh, light heavyweight rankings. And the guys in front of him are Jamal Hill and Yuri Prohaska. Jamal Hill obviously remains injured. Yuri Prohaska just lost to the current champion, Alex Pereira. And behind Magomed Ankalaev, you got Yanni Blackchaks and Alexander Rachich, who were supposed to fight this weekend at UFC 297, but Jan Blahovich had to pull out with a shoulder injury. No word on whether or not it was the worst injury in the history of shoulders, like the one suffered recently like by Yuri Prohaska. But yeah, it, yeah, it kind of seems like Ankalaev is sort of the, the last guy standing in terms of the top five, so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him matched up in a potential fight with... Uh, Pereira, unless they want to hold him out for somebody else. But uh, that would be a fight that I think might be trouble for the current champion if if uh, Uncle Live decides to use a, a slightly more rounded skill set, which we know he has, doesn't go out there and try to have a firefight with Pereira. I think it'd be an interesting, perhaps evenly matched fight. Yeah. All right, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, I was reading this story about Hinato Moicano talking about how he has a fight booked against the handsomest man in MMA, Drew Dober, Mm -hmm. at UFC Fight Night 235 coming up in February. Uh, And this one, I believe, is at the Apex. I'm reading about this on the uh, MMA Junkie story by Nolan King. I'm just going to hit you with this Moicano quote. This is a fight night. Nobody gives a shit about fight nights. It doesn't matter if you're the co-main event, main event, or the prelims. Who gives a fuck? It's just a shitty way to put UFC on ESPN. So, hey, Dana White, I'd rather be on UFC 299, but I don't make the rules. I'm an employee. Uh, Side note, no, you're not. You're very much not. Independent contractors. The UFC's been very clear on that. February 3rd, I will beat Drew Dober. It doesn't matter if it's in the Apex. Nobody likes the Apex, my brother. You can ask anybody. The fans hate the Apex. The fighters, I'm pretty sure they don't like the Apex too. I know the UFC has so many fighters right now and you have to make so many fights. It makes sense for the Apex and ESPN. If you're asking me if I'm happy to fight at the Apex, no way, brother. No way. Imagine (laughs) UFC 299 in Miami. A lot of people. You have a great performance. Then you can talk in a mic with a great guy like Joe Rogan or even Michael Bisping, DC, and you can express yourself. The apex is going to be different, but Moicano is business. Ooh, Moicano is business. That's a good way to sign off. I'm just saying, future of fighting. This is a quote about the future of fighting, also known as the UFC apex that we're just running endless fight nights through. Yeah. Renato Moicano, at this point, experienced veteran fighter, tells us, Nobody gives a shit about fight neck fight nights. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's the guy on one. <laughs> Just saying. 
Uh, I like the way you you put some real uh, put some real emphasis on that. What do you say? No way, brother. What do you say? Yeah, uh, nobody likes the apex, my brother. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm you asking me if I'm happy to fight at the apex? No way, brother. Yeah, no, I like the way you did that. Gave it a sort of a uh, 1980s pro wrestling vibe. Just a little bit like a Brazilian Hulk Hogan is how I imagine him saying the brother in that one. Yeah. Uh, well, ben, this week I'm just saying we had some more documents get unsealed as part of the UFC's antitrust lawsuit, which is ongoing. This one included a text exchange between Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta from May of 2014 about the light heavyweight champion at the time, John Jones, who they wanted to put into a rematch against Alexander Gustafson, uh, but he wanted to fight Daniel Cormier instead. And uh, negotiations on a contract extension were were stalled because of that detail. Jones wouldn't sign it. Dana White sends a text to Lorenzo Fertitta, at the time one of the owners of the UFC, uh, which says, what's up with Jones? Did he straighten up or is he still being a scumbag? To which Lorenzo Fertitta responds, still a douche, but we're inching closer. Haven't moved on money, but sent the letter with an ultimatum. White responds, awesome. Fuck that punk, Lorenzo. He needs to know we don't need him or he will fuck us over more than he already does. So this week... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. One more thing. Dana White was asked about this mm-hmm. as part of what was it? Probably his deposition in the uh, yeah in the antitrust case. He was asked, so you wanted Mr. Fertitta to let Mr. Jones know that the UFC didn't need him. White responds, yeah. And the lawyer questioning him says, and be a scumbag in negotiations. White responds, no. Do you know John Jones's history just to be a scumbag in life? I mean, you could get pretty much every guy who works for me to testify that, yes, I was not happy with John Jones's life choices, to which I'm just saying, if Dana White thinks that John Jones is a scumbag because of his, quote, life choices, what does Dana White think about Dana White? <laughs> because we've seen him make some life choices that seemed somewhat questionable. He is, after all, the guy who slapped his wife in the face on camera at a nightclub in Mexico on New Year's Eve and then showed up refusing to accept any kind of punishment for it at all, telling us his punishment was just that we found out that he did it, which has never worked ever for anyone committing any kind of of a crime or a public uh, incident like this. He is also the guy who several years ago was having an affair with a dancer from the Spearmint Rhino, widely publicized affair at this point because she tried to extort him for money. He is also the guy who has been screwing over his own athletes at this point for decades Basically, since the time he got in the game, he is also the guy out here trying to promote one of the most despicable and indefensible. I don't even want to call it a sport. I'm going to say activity. One of the most indefensible activities in slap fighting. So if Dana White is looking around calling John Jones a scumbag because of the stuff John Jones has done. What does he think about the stuff he's done? Just saying. Added to which, that explanation makes no sense in the context of the text message exchange. 
You're telling me that what you're saying you meant when you texted Lorenzo Fertitta is John Jones still being a scumbag is you meant you were asking Lorenzo Fertitta if he was still making poor life choices <laughs> because everything else that follows in this text exchange is about the contract negotiations. Very clearly, that's what they're talking about. The scumbag thing does not refer to the personal life choices. It clearly refers to these contract negotiations and then going on to be like the most important thing that needs to happen here is that this fighter needs to know that he is not bigger than the UFC. We don't need him, even though he is the best fighter in the history of the sport at this point. He needs to know that he can't just refuse to sign an extremely long-term contract with us. Like That's what you're doing there. That's the conversation you're really having there. You're not talking about John Jones uh, drinking and driving. Nobody's buying that. I'm just saying just always seems to find himself surrounded by scumbags. Mm -hmm. And at some point you got to ask what the common denominator is in all of those situations. Just saying. All right. That's going to do it this week for the co-main event podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Reminder, we are over on the Patreon page all week tomorrow with the live chat Thursday with doing the damn thing Friday with the power hour. Come check us out. You can join at any one of four handy levels and get in on all the action. As for right now, we appreciate the support. We are done. We are through. We are out. And if the CME text messages ever get oh God. revealed. Man, there would be like so many texts about hockey. I pity the fool who has to read those texts just to be like, oh, texting about Yanni Gord again. I'm Yeah, see, I'm picturing you in a deposition room having to explain to some some starched collar lawyer why you keep referring to the pepper pot yeah. over and over again in your text messages yeah you all have to be like not a euphemism for any kind of illicit activity just the nickname of my favorite hockey player 9 14 p.m on a thursday you texted the pepper pot is added again do you care to explain yeah uh, it's just about his life choices that's all it's about <laughs>